fifth episode, can you believe it, of the Wit and Whiskey cast. I am uh, your host, Mark Rossetti, along with my co-host, DJ Gagnon. Hello. Hello, DJ. There he is. And we're going to be doing something very exciting today. We're going to do the first in a series of what will no doubt be uh, controversial discussions on overs and unders, things that we might think are slightly overrated, things that we might think are slightly underrated, or maybe not slightly, depending on how it goes. So this week is the first episode in that, and we're going to do movies. We're going to do feature film, and we're going to see how that goes. No doubt it's going to be a lively debate. Yes, I expect, I've got a broad range here, so I expect a debate with you. Well, good, good. I'm I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but we before we get to that, what uh, do anything fun this week? Do anything exciting? Yeah, there's been some fun stuff this week. I took a vacation uh, with my wife. She and I kind of hung out for a few days, played some online uh, RPGs. As Mark can attest to, it's quite hard to get into board games and and all of the other hobbies that we might have with the current you know, COVID situation. So we are working on kind of getting some, some remote board game stuff running with some friends. We're working on, you know, getting some RPG tabletop type stuff going remotely. Mark and I are, are still uh, in playing our game now uh, moved to Wednesdays. Yes. Um, so Wednesday that, night D&D, the newest sensation sweeping across America. Yeah, right. The, uh, the session this week was a, a lot of really awesome setup. We, Says goodbye to some characters, said hello to new ones, and we'll see how uh, the dynamics work out pretty soon. Other than that, uh, I took some time, finished off the library. All the painting is done, all the drywalling is done. Uh, for those of you playing the home game, I had some roof leak a few years ago, and we've been drywalling and mudding and painting and all sorts of stuff in just the biggest room in our house. So, Because uh, we decided that hey, if we're going to paint one wall, why not paint four of them? So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it, was, know, it just felt really good to, like, finish a house project this weekend. So my dad and I spent, like, three hours today just trying to figure out weird math on how to hang a hammock in the room. Like, just, you know, doing some, some tie up there. How about you, Mark? I hate math. I was told there'd be no math. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, pretty much the same. You know, worked uh, during the week... Got a, a few minor things done on the roadster. Had a little bit of a, a, a brake gremlin, a rear brake gremlin, uh, you know, which is never too, too fun. But I think I have that sorted out. Uh, you know, I think it's just a, a very slow leak somewhere that I think I may have uh, plugged, hopefully. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, you know, I had mentioned in a prior episode that I'm slowly getting back into... Uh, remote-controlled cars and all the fun that that is, I was out testing uh, the new one that I'm working on currently because next week I'm going on my vacation with my wife, so it's, it's vacation time here uh, at the W&W cast. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I had built a new set of shocks for it, and I was out testing it, and a gentleman stopped down and said, hey, you know, are you a member of the uh, Swetland Flyers Club, which is a remote control airplane club that has actually that meets less than a quarter of a mile from where I live. There's a big field, and I was familiar with these guys, but I was like, no, I don't really give you know two craps about airplanes. Why would I be a member? And he said, oh no, they have a uh, racetrack there as well. So I got a hold of the president, and I met him today, and it turns out they do have a racetrack. Uh, unfortunately, due to the coronavirus, it needs a little TLC. A few of the members have sort of stopped coming, and it's a little overgrown. Uh, but long story short, when I come back from vacation, I'm going to start working on a 200-foot, fully paved, fully banked oval track. Ooh, wow. Uh, which is going to be a lot of fun and uh, will be something going forward. So, And I could literally walk to it and walk back from it. So as the wife put it, that's going to be dangerous. <laughs> yes, I can picture you with your cool little walking stick walking up and down the road, waving to neighbors. Damn straight, homie. <laughs> All right, well, now on to the first piece of resistance. What are you drinking this week? You're going to have to lead this because we know where we're going with mine. Yeah, so I figured we needed we needed some, some whiskey in this episode. So I went out on the recommendation of a friend of mine. I really like Irish whiskeys. You know, as I, I stated in previous episodes, Jameson Black Barrel, one of my favorites out there. A good buddy of mine uh, recommended Tullamore Dew. 
uh, and I had never really tried it before. And I, I wanted to go a little summary for, for all you listeners today. So I uh, picked up myself up a bottle of Tullamore XO Rum Cask Finish. Ooh. I was at the store. I was kind of looking around. I was looking to see what they had that was kind of summery and tropical. You know, uh, we can't really leave and go somewhere tropical at the moment, but it's the next best thing. It's uh, it's quite good. I I don't know if you're a Tullamore Dew fan, Mark. I am. Well, uh, my main experience with Tullamore Dew, just to sidetrack you briefly, was uh, I have become a member through mutual friends of the local chapter of the Friendly Sons of St. Patrick, which, of course, if you know me, is the funniest thing in the world because I am <laughs> 0% Irish and you know, 75, 80% plus Italian. Uh, but the first annual meeting, we're all there in our tuxedos and all these redheaded Irish boys decided to see what I could do to drink. And it was open bar, which was fine. Uh, but they didn't have any shot glasses. So anytime you would order a shot from the bar, they would give you a champagne glass full of whatever you ordered. That's so, not a shot. No, not not <laughs> even a little bit. So my night was spent just rounds and rounds and rounds of Tellamore Dew uh, out of champagne glasses. <laughs> that is, which was a, a lot of fun. But that's the trashiest and fanciest story at the same time. Yes, well, we, and we we made light of it. We were uh, at least at first, while we were still uh, cognizant of our senses, we were putting our pinkies out, uh, and so that lasted the first three or four rounds. But yeah, p- pictures of cheap beer and uh, champagne glasses full of Tellamore Dew was my introduction to the friendly sons of St. Patrick. That's amazing. I thought this was pretty interesting when I did some research on this uh, before the episode. Tullamore Dew, the distillery, kind of put out this rum cask finish, and uh, they ha- had in mind that they wanted to pay tribute to the role that Irish immigrants played in the development of rum in the Caribbean in the 17th century. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I didn't know anything about that. That sounds really cool. It's kind of like this really interesting blend of cultures. And it, it's kind of got that backbone of rum. I, I'm not much of a rum guy, I have to confess, but... Bizarre, because you like sugar. You like sweets. Yeah, I mean, I love bourbon. I just, I don't know. It's something about rum. I, it's a different flavor profile, so... Uh, but that being said, I, I'm kind of opening up to the idea of it, and uh, this is a this is a good introduction for you whiskey fans who are curious about rum. Uh, definitely check it out. What about you, Mark? What are you drinking? <laughs> <laughs> well, I am going to be sacrilegious. Now, this is the point in the show when you know any of our listeners that we have are going to turn off immediately because this week, and probably only for this week. Oh my God! I want to apologize to our listeners in advance. Go ahead. <laughs> I am actually going to have a beer. Now, uh, it's not just, you know, I'm not sitting here drinking Budweiser or my own usual beloved Miller High Life. Uh, I saw an ad on a line on Facebook for a local uh, bottle shop. Had got a shipment in of something that I thought would tie in very well with the uh, last couple of episodes. Well, two prior episodes, uh, episodes two and three that we had done on uh, our childhood fandoms because oh, no. there is a company named the Artisanal Brew Works. They're out of Saratoga, New York. I had to look them up. And they have the licensing to make beer based off of the Warheads Sour Candy. Oh. <laughs> oh. I'm so sorry, listeners. Uh, so it was funny because last week when we were recording our tattoo episode was when I had first stumbled across it. I, when DJ and I were talking, I had sent him a photo and said, hey, look, this is a thing. And, you know, maybe I'll try to pick some up for next weekend and it'll be a fun little tie in. And he didn't really say too much. And then two days later, I went and just happened to get to the shop as the truck was unloading a new case. And I when we were talking, I said, hey, are you going to do some. Uh, whiskey this week because one of us should and he goes why and then I told him he said wait a minute you were serious about that I thought that was a joke (laughs) Uh, but no I I opened the can just before we started recording but I haven't taken a sip so this is going to be my very first uh, uh, impression here it's very bright blue I just because this is the blue raspberry flavor because it's a four pack you get a four pack yeah it's very bright blue beer I will put a a photo up on the Facebook page and the website I'm sure you can all smell it from wherever you're sitting because it smells like blue raspberry, let me tell you. So here's the first sip. Okay, that is sour. (laughs) Now, is it sour as in like a candy or is it like a sour beer? No, it's a sour beer, but the aftertaste is definitely 
It tastes like the candy. I'll give them credit. Um, it's nowhere near as sour as, at least as I remember the candies being. I haven't had them in quite some time. But it's it tastes pretty good overall. I'm not usually a sour beer guy, but this is pretty good as a gimmick. I have to say it's a little disappointing. It's only 5%. You know, my friends who are into these foo-foo beers tell me that that's usually the point is you can get kind of close to a spirit. And I really don't like the price. Do you want to take a, a stab at what eight cans of this ran me, DJ? Eight cans? Oh. I bought two four-packs just because it was so hard to get. Fifteen bucks? Forty-eight. Whoa, woof. That's way more than I thought that would be. Yeah, no, it was $48 for eight cans, uh, which, to put that into perspective, when I do drink beer, which isn't super often, I drink Miller High Life, I could get about 90 cans of Miller High Life for that price. Sweet Jeebus. So it's a fun gimmick. It is a fun bit of childhood nostalgia, but I can't honestly say I recommend it. Mark, can we get you to commit to a blog post comparing the four flavors of this beer? Uh, yes, we can. Awesome. I can do that. I can do that this week. I, I uh, have my eye on the green apple because that was always my favorite as a child. So uh, we'll go from there. Interesting. I think th- there was like a red one, right? What's the red one? The red one is black cherry. I think black cherry was always my favorite. They're, they're, for those of you playing the home game, there's blue raspberry, black cherry, green apple, and then just lemon, which I'm imagining the lemon will be the most sour. I'm kind of hoping that's like a sour shandy. I, I, you know, I'm going to guess this, weirdly enough, actually kind of tastes like an ale. Believe it or not, sour ale, if that makes any sense. Yeah, so, I don't know. It's kind of fun. From what I understand, they only do very limited runs of it every year, and it sells out very quickly, despite the price. Uh, So if you see it, and you don't mind burning the money, it is kind of a fun little trip back to grade school, but, nah. Uh, One thing I did see during the week, and I haven't, it's nowhere near here. I went looking for it, just to horrify you. Do you remember Dunkaroos? Oh my God, yes. My, uh, my uh, buddy of mine used to always bring them to lunch in grade school, and I used to try to steal them every, every day. There is a uh, company out now with a Drunkaroos chocolate stout. Huh. They swear up and down, taste just like the dipping sauce. You know, I'm good letting you do the beer experiments, man. <laughs> um, I'm not going to go looking for it, but if I come across it in my travels, I am going to pick it up. That's fair. I do, uh, I mean, in terms of beer, I'm not much of a beer guy. I think the most fun I've ever had with beer was the the opportunity I had to go with our buddy Lou uh, at, at his birthday party at the Sam Adams Brewery. A lot of fun. But just not much of a hops guy, not much of a beer guy. I do have to give a shout out to my Uncle David, though. He does, he's been brewing for years, and he's got a really tasty maple stout that he makes. Yeah, when I used to race, a uh, guy pitted not far from me, uh, Big Ed, we used to call him because he was 6'6". You'd see him fold himself into a drag, so it was the funniest thing. Uh, But he was big into the home brewing, and he used to make a watermelon... I don't even remember what it was, but it was... It basically tasted like a liquid Jolly Rancher, but it was like 12%. That's amazing. (laughs) It was, except for when you had to race the next day. (laughs) I mean, yeah, okay. I... So I wish there were more like watermelon flavored liquors and liqueurs and it seems like the only one that's generally made is beer so i keep trying watermelon beers and i have not found one that i liked you you would have liked big heads next time he bottles some i'll put a make him put a six pack on the side for us because i know he will that'd be amazing so big head brother if you're listening which i don't know why you would be but if you're listening brother mark it down Whiskey is amazing, and... Yeah, this isn't the beer podcast. This is the Wit and Whiskey cast, I yeah, swear. Yeah, whiskey is amazing. Um, so on and to this week's topic. Yeah, beer's pretty good, but we're talking about the over-unders on movies, right? Overrated, underrated. Mark, you want to define what overrated and underrated? Kind of give that disclaimer okay. for our fans before yes. we get crucified. See, this... Well, number one, before we get crucified, but this is a very personal trigger for me, is you have to keep in the back of your head that if something is overrated... That doesn't mean it's bad. Correct. It just means that it's not as good as the general consensus. Just like if something is underrated, it doesn't mean it's good. It just means that it's not as good as everybody says it is. Um, 
you know, just going by all the reviews and the general consensus, I would say online, I would say just based off first impressions, this Warhead beer is overrated. <laughs> it's not bad, but it's overrated. So that's what we're going to do here. And I, I think we'll just ping pong sort of back and forth between the two of us. Um, do you want to start with the overs or the unders? Let's let's start with the overs. I like to I like to end on a positive note, personally. All right. Well, what's your first over? Hit me. All right, my first over is Fight Club. Oh, come on now. It is well-rated out there. Uh, it's, it's quite acclaimed. It's also a bit of a cult classic. I remember being 19 in college, wearing a lot of black, uh, wearing a leather jacket, uh, listening to a lot of Linkin Park and Ramstein, which I know uh, is quite a, a stretch, but I like weird music. And I like dual, dual <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. This is Romstein. I just have to do that. And I was really into Fight Club. I love Fight Club. I thought it was clever. I thought it was amazing. And I think it's got a really good message. Uh, I think if you read the original novel, you watch the movie, the message of Fight Club is kind of poking fun and kind of ridiculing that whole like toxic masculinity, like showing how like absurd. It is, you know, it's, it, it, Fight Club is meant to be a bit of a satire. But honestly, the, the movie doesn't age, uh, in my humble opinion. I'm in my 30s, I own a house, I'm looking to have kids in the near future. I like investing in friendships and, and hanging out at home and uh, playing tabletop RPGs. I'm just not really interested in movies that have, like, the it's the end of the world and we're causing it kind of message, um... <laughs> So, yeah, Fight Club is my first overrated. I'm going to kind of end it there. It, it is definitely personal opinion, but I, it, it's a movie I just can't watch these days. Well, I will just, uh, I will play devil's advocate just very briefly and say that, um, speaking as someone who uh, for years has been plagued with on and off insomnia, a lot of the beginning, the way they portray insomnia is pretty spot on, actually. <laughs> Uh, especially in the novel. Uh, if the novel, obviously, is a lot better than the book, as it usually is. Oh, yeah, most so, definitely. Uh, I did enjoy that, and uh, I think, too, part of it was just the twist at the end, which, of course, we won't spoil, even though it's a really old movie, but if you haven't seen it. So the first time you see it, it's just sort of like, wow, and then you kind of go back and you think about it. It is one of those movies that you have to watch a few times because they do... Even though the first time you watch it, it doesn't seem like they set up the twist at the end. When you watch it in, on repeat, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I could see where that came from. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I acknowledge that Fight Club is probably a great movie. I just don't consider it a good one. That's fair. All right. So my first one is just a little bit more lighthearted, but it was the first one that popped into my head when we came up with this topic. And it's a Christmas story. Ugh. <sighs> Came out in 1983, runs for an hour and 34 minutes, uh, which, first of all, 1983 blew me away. If you had, Before I looked this up on IMDb, I was convinced it was like 77, 78. I was con convinced it was the 60s, so uh, that's, so there that's you pretty go. good. Now, full disclosure, and I'm sure we'll talk about this on a future episode, I hate Christmas. But He, he does, guys. I can't. We've been friends for years. I, it is a miracle that this dude, like, throws as much effort into our group of friends, like, yearly uh, Secret Santa, because, dude, is this guy a Grinch. I am a Grinch, but that isn't why I feel this movie is overrated. Because as a comedy, it actually works fairly well. It's not bad. It's just, you know, and, and there are Christmas movies that are... Actually, good movies. I mean, Die Hard, great movie, Christmas movie. Not a Christmas movie, but okay. <laughs> um, but my problem is, is that it's just so bloody overplayed. I mean, the USA Network has killed this flick. It's, you know, 24 hours a day it's on for how many days? And weirdly, it has like a reverse toxic fandom. Like, its fandom is too cheery. Like, you're the odd man out in the room, like, oh, do we have to watch this again? I know every line in this movie. And, whoa, it's a Christmas story. You have to watch. Wait, you don't like a Christmas story? It's not that I don't like it. It's just I've seen it 147 times. So you're telling me it's the Nickelback of Christmas movies? Uh, 
well, I suppose my wife likes it, so yeah, so probably because she likes Nickelback too. Uh, and as we said, it feels a lot older than thirty-seven years old. It does, and it overuses a brick joke uh, to the point where you know it's because it has one line: "You'll shoot your eye out. You'll shoot your eye out. You shoot your eye out." And then at the end, you know, oh, show my eye out. You know, it's just, they beat that, they beat you over the head with the brick joke instead of just making it sort of a funny ha-ha thing, in my opinion. I can't believe you. I am an insufferably huge fan of Christmas. We need to do a Christmas episode so oh, I can be to. overly joyous and you can be a grump. That may be a two-parter. Oh, it will probably be a three-parter, but that's okay. The 12 episodes of Christmas. No, 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 we're not doing that. <laughs> Challenge right, give accepted. Me, give me another over. Okay, I'm going to get flack for this, but Toy Story 3. Ooh, okay, go on. I'm um, curious. Okay, so I am a huge fan of animated films. Disney, I mean, Nightmare Before Christmas is my favorite movie of all times. God, like, I, I love DreamWorks. I love Laika. I, I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of anime. There's a million anime movies I love, but... I thought, personally, that Toy Story peaked at two. Okay. I, I, if I watch two today, and I've seen two like 20 times because, again, I am a child. <laughs> but I still sob uncontrollably at the whole, like, Jesse scene in Toy Story 2. I sob. I thought that was, like, that scene kills me every single time. I wa- I, I've seen Toy Story 3 like three or four times. It's solid. It is not as good as the other two. And I gotta be honest, I kind of burned out on Toy Story after 3. I haven't seen 4. I, I haven't seen 4 either. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Toy Story 3 is, is overrated. I, I get what they're going for, but honestly, I didn't find that the emotional payoff was as heart-wrenching as like when you find out what happened to Jesse in two. So Toy Story 3 is my second pick. I only had one real problem with Toy Story 3, and I think uh, since you know me as well as you do, you can pick out what it was. Uh, The last 15 or so minutes, it should have ended in the incinerator. That would have been just such a perfect ending to that whole trilogy. I told you guys he's a Grinch. No, and it's not even that I don't like the characters. It's not, it just, it would have come full circle and they all would have died together. Like, I watched it in the theater and I literally said to my wife, this is the perfect way to end this movie. I bet and you you would have preferred if the protagonist died in Portal in the incinerator too, right? Uh, well, yeah, Shell, yeah, we, we could see her die. I was very upset, actually, that you had to destroy the weighted companion cube, but, uh. Spoiler alert, if we ever do, when we ever do, I should say, overs and unders for video games, Portal is going to be on my unders list. Mm-hmm. So be ready. But yeah, that's that. Um, Toy Story 2, I like because we get evil Kelsey Grammer, who doesn't like that. Uh, <laughs> but for my money, the first one's still the best. Just because it was so ahead of its time. Two's my favorite because Jesse is one of my all-time favorite like animated characters in all the Pixar movies, so... Two is my favorite. That. Yeah. All right. What's your so second here one? Comes, here comes my second one, and I, I might get some flack for this one, but I don't care because I just don't understand it. I didn't understand it when it was new. I don't understand it now. I'm, I'm, this is going to hurt. My name is Forrest Gump. <sighs> okay. So it was 1994. It's nearly three hours. It's two hours, 22 minutes. It feels well over. I had to look it up again because I I swear the movie was over three hours. It feels like it's over three hours. It's another movie that's only famous for one line. The box of chocolates line. That's it. Oh, come now. And run, forest, run. And Okay, I take that back. And run, forest, run. Two two lines. But, like, the plot of it is just a guy bumbles through history. It's the whole plot of the movie. I I don't get it. I didn't get it then. But here's the thing that, to me, is really egregious. Do you know, DJ, what it... Because, of course, famously, it won Best Picture that year. Mm-hmm. Do you know what it beat out for Best Picture? It, was it Pulp Fiction? Well, that was one of them, but let me go through the entire list. <laughs> I, I was, As soon as Mark gets upset about a movie, I assume Pulp Fiction was wronged in some way. <laughs> hang on, though. Hang on. Okay, so the first other movie 
was four weddings and a funeral. Okay, that's terrible. Who cares? The next one, The Shawshank Redemption. I can see it. Are you going to tell me Pulp Fiction is better than The Shawshank Redemption? Or not Pulp Fiction. uh, uh, Forrest Gump is better than The Shawshank Redemption? You don't want me to answer that question. Move on. (laughs) Uh, Then it was Pulp Fiction. Then it was Quiz Show, which I don't know if you've seen uh, Quiz Show, but that was a fantastic movie. I have not. But to be fair, I haven't seen Pulp Fiction either. Oh. So, yeah, just I don't know how the hell that movie uh, beat out all those heavy hitters and Four Weddings and a Funeral uh, and took Best Picture. It just it still blows my mind. I mean, because, I, I, I mean, we can get into this, but it's because Forrest Gump is objectively the most pristine, perfect movie ever made. And that is not to say that I, I it's my favorite movie. It doesn't even rate in the top ten, but Forrest Gump, is it hits everything. It's got romance. It's got war. It's got somebody fighting against adversity. It's got history. It's got uh, an amazing friendship. Like it's, it's got weirdly commercialized. Everything. Oh, it is. And I, and I don't mind a movie being commercialized. There's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But like, there's a chain of really bad shrimp restaurants based off the movie. Yeah, I mean... Very strange. As someone who worships at the feet of the altar that is Tom Hanks and all of his wonderful movies, I I can agree with you. It's not not one of my favorites. I I think it's mildly overrated, but I remember it being extremely impactful to me when I saw it as a kid. I remember just being very angry because I didn't see it until after the Academy Awards. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. All right, so give me your last one. I love old movies. I think Casablanca is one of the best movies ever made. I love Agreed. everything Sidney Poitier has ever made. I love... Uh, I'm a sucker for classic musicals. Hello, Dolly is one of my favorite movies. But I, I do need to say my third one is A Streetcar Named Desire. Oh! <laughs> I hate like it. You were laughing during D and D. A little bit. Struggling to think of Marlon Brando. A little bit. I did. I did get a good giggle this week. I can't tell you how much I loathe the plot of A Streetcar Named Desire. Now, I recognize it was a it was a play. It was a stage production before it was a movie, and Marlon Brando uh, is kind of. That, that's kind of one of his iconic roles, right? Godfather and Street, Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah, yeah those um, are his two big ones. Yeah. Uh, th- I hated A Streetcar Named Desire so much that I've never seen the Godfather movies because I can't stomach watching another Marlon Brando movie. I may have to kidnap you, and we may have to have a movie weekend, but um, keep going. I Because uh, I originally encountered Streetcar as... We read through it in high school as... A, an exercise in English, uh, you know, we read through the, the screenplay of the stage production, and then we watched the black and white movie with Marlon Brando. And I don't give a shit about any of the characters in this movie. I think Marlon Brando is an utter dirtbag. I don't think the movie says anything. I mean, there's literally a scene where it's like a wife and a husband... And then her sister comes to stay with them, and he just straight up rapes her. Yeah. And then the 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 big scene in the movie is him screaming because his wife kicked him out. Stella. And great, but you know who did that whole like screaming your loved one's name better? Fucking Rocky. Well, there was a difference, though. You know, uh, Marlon Brando in Streetcar Named Desire was distressed because, you know, he realized the choices he made cost him the woman he loved. Rocky was just concussed. But it's like <laughs> Rocky, and, and, and this is the weird, like, I every time I have this conversation with somebody, I compare Rocky and Streetcar because Rocky is the story of a man who... I want to do a movie review podcast with you now. This could be more fun, (laughs) but keep going. But, like, Rocky is the story of a guy who is facing adversity, and he's boxing, and he's, he's, you know, trying to make money, and he's trying to overcome just incredible odds. 
And at the end of it, like he, with that screaming Adrian's name, he recognizes both what he has accomplished and the woman that stood behind him and supported him, despite the fact that supporting somebody through something like that is incredibly hard. In Streetcar, nothing fucking happens. They have a shit marriage. Her sister comes to visit. He rapes her and then gets sad about it. Like there's nothing, there's nothing there. I'm sorry. That was end of rant. End of rant. This this is bloody glorious. Um, I I, I can't really disagree with anything you're saying. I will just end this with the caveat. For your own sake, don't ever watch Last Tango in Paris. No, I'm good. (laughs) But Mark, give me about that. Give us your last over because I can see it on the sheet here and I'm going to have a huge problem with it. But give give us your I don't think you will because this isn't the one that you think it is. See, my last over is probably the ultimate overrated movie. And I've actually been conducting a poll. A, mm-hmm. a little, uh, a, a little pencil tucky pole here. Is this okay? Is it the blue one or or no? It's the, the blue one. one. Yeah, it's okay. the blue one. No, yeah, it's what I thought it was. Oh, see, I thought you were going to get mad because I was picking on the anime. No, of course not. The anime is flawless, and so you agree with me. Well, yeah, I would. I well, I don't know if it's flawless, but it's certainly not overrated. Uh, so I picked Avatar from two thousand nine. Two hours forty two minutes. Now, I'm going to say, before I just rip this to shreds for the piece of fucking tripe that it is. Oh, my God. I'm just going to say, I will give it one big caveat, one big piece of credit. It was impressive to see where film had come. Like, as a technological piece, as just purely a technological exercise. Oh, of course. It was a lot of fun. I mean, it was sort of like, you know, when you watch 24 Hours at Le Mans and Audi brings out, you know, one of their new R8 prototypes and like, this is what we could do if we have an unlimited budget and we just have to build one car. And it's like, or, or to, oh, cool. I mean, to bring the comparison back to film, it's like watching a Transformers movie. Like, they're nothing, but they're fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, but they don't really push the envelope at all. I mean, this, there are certain movies that you watch and you know the bar has been moved. Uh, the second Terminator, that's a perfect example. Uh, the first Jurassic Park, the original Jurassic Park. That's okay. another great example. Yeah, I can, I can agree with that one. I haven't actually seen Terminator 2. I need oh. to, the, I have a long list of movies I haven't seen, guys. The CGI in Terminator 2 holds up today. Yeah, it does, uh, from the little that I've seen of it. So, and this was another one of those movies. But it was bloody awful. There was no plot. The plot that there was, was... Pocahontas in space with blue people. I mean, the the plot is ferngully. It's ferngully. Note for is, note. The plot is non-existent. The, the, and I asked my wife, because when we, we went to see this, she would saw it a couple times, actually. She's one of the reasons why it made as much money as it did. Um, she loved it when it came out. And I said, tell me one remarkable scene in that movie. Tell me one remarkable line. Give me something. She could not remember a single goddamn thing. And that's a fact. So I went to work because all the ladies at work, same thing. They all went together. They could not. They said, oh, well, it made a lot of money. And I said, right. Why? <laughs> no one can tell me. I it's, can. Okay. Give, give me a line from it. Okay. No, I can't quote lines because the lines <laughs> were shit. But the, the scenes in the movie, the, the guy in the wheelchair getting frustrated that he had just inhabited a, a body that was fully functional and throwing a rage fit. The, uh, the girl who is one of the Navi who, like, shadows him as he's exploring. The, the moment of prayer by the tree, which I will grant you is just Pocahontas, his first flight. Uh, learning to tame the giant bird to take over and like wipe out and get rid of the corporation poisoning the planet. There were plot points. I will not say they were great plot points. It was the movie Ferngully. If I remember correctly, was this or was this not the movie that brought us Unobtainium? Uh, yeah, it, it was. Oh, bloody hell. Come okay, on. So now I am going to I'm gonna give a brief rebuttal and then we gotta to get to unders. We're running long. But okay. a little bit of background. I got started in computing with 3D animation. Um okay. it, it, I was on my high school's robotics team. There was a 3D animation competition every year. We had to make a 30-second video using 3D Studios Max. 
which is an incredibly complicated piece of software, but I loved it. It was what got me into computing. It's what made me choose computer science in college. It's what got me into a very good-paying job in IT that is boring to talk about. And I love computer animation. I love uh, claymation. I love uh, animation. I love CGI. I know that they, that the whole thing, there's a huge problem in, in uh, discussing animation because it's not really highly regarded. Um, you know, it, animated films do not get a lot of acclaim. And uh, Avatar is one of those first ones that got a lot of acclaim being a CGI movie. And yes, I will 100% agree with you that the, the plot was you could see through it. Like, it's just paper thin. But the the movie was not really about the plot. It was about the world that was created and the sheer feats of motion cap and animation that they did. And if you separate the fact that it's kind of just a one-dimensional story and the whole point of this movie was to... Uh, show you and let you inhabit for a short period of time a new world with amazing foreign things that that we had no analog for in our world it it does exactly what it was supposed to and it set a bar that not many movies since have achieved the argument could be made some of the marvel movies like what they did in endgame with that huge battle at the end uh some of the battles in lord of the rings um, have, have come close to that, but the sheer scale of computer animation in the movie Avatar is unmatched. It's beautiful. And see, this just goes to show you the dichotomy in our personalities, because DJ doesn't know this, because I knew we would run long, so I didn't write them down. But I had two honorable mentions for Overrated, and they were the two movies he mentioned as his example. <laughs> <laughs> Endgame and the Lord of the Rings. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, and I mean, I know a lot of people that disagree with me, but I, when I go to see a movie like Avatar, I'm not going to see it for a plot that will change my life. I'm looking for something beautiful. It is a work of art. And it was very pretty. It I, was. I won't argue that. It was yeah, very pretty. And if you view this movie through just the guise of it being art, you know, I have seen... I've seen it in theaters. I've had the chance to see it on like 4K on a giant projector. It is a beautiful movie. All right. What's your first under? Okay. So moving into unders, I thought really long and hard about this and coming on the tales of your over, uh, overrated on Forrest Gump, I'm going to say underrated is Larry Crown. I did not look up what year this was made. I don't know anybody else but me that has seen this movie. I was going to say, I've never seen that, so okay. Um, it is Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts. Tom Hanks plays a, like, divorcee in his, like, late 40s, early 50s. What is considered in our society to be too old to start over, traditionally. Okay. And, you know, past middle age, he was working in retail and they fire him because he doesn't have a college degree. So he goes back to school and falls in love with his professor teaching uh, public speaking, who is played by Julia Roberts, who uh, is just fantastic in how apathetic she is in this role. Just playing a very apathetic teacher who doesn't give a shit about her students. And it, it is heartwarming. It is a rom-com, which I... Uh, I love rom-coms. I'm sure Mark hates them. Um, There's a few I like. For the most part, uh, I, I'm not a fan. Uh, so I Married an Axe Murderer is great, though. It's probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm -hmm. So we got that going for us. Sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, Deadpool 2 is a romance, so... Um, it's true. This yeah. is true. Uh, so yeah, Larry Crown is my first under. What, what's your first? My first under is, uh, like you, probably my favorite movie of all time, one of my favorite movies of all time, and it's a movie that almost nobody else has ever seen, The Hollywood Nights. I've never seen it. It came out in 1980. It's an hour and 31 minutes, good 91-minute movie. Get you in, get you out. And uh, what's fun about this is it has an all-star cast when they were all nobodies. Tony Danza's in it. Michelle Pfeiffer's in it. I think it's like her second movie. Fran Drescher's in it. Uh, Robert Wool. 
And the whole gimmick is that it is uh, sort of a blend between American Graffiti and Animal House. It's sort of a late 70s, early 80s, you know, raunchy, National Lampoon-style sex comedy set over a car movie. But I love basically glorified student films, um, you know, Iron Man 1, for instance. Uh, so this movie had no budget. Uh, and it's a lot of fun because they had to bring in a lot of cars that were being built by magazines, like uh, Project X, which was the famous uh, 57 Chevy from Popular Hot Rodding Mechanics, or Popular Hot Rodding, rather. They, uh, that was one of the movie cars. It's Tony Danza's movie car. They didn't have a budget for stuntmen, so Tony Danza had to drive it, and you can actually watch a scene during a race near the end of the movie where he blows it up on camera. <laughs> and they tried to edit it out and cut away, but you can clearly see the motor grenade. Uh, they had the Shadow, which was a really famous uh, tea bucket build, hot rod build. It has really good pacing. It has a really uh, good compressed story. You're in and out in 90 minutes, but the whole plot of the movie takes place over 11 hours, and most of those are at night, so it's really like a six-hour window, pretty much the whole movie takes place over. And it doesn't really bother with sort of the classic, you know, cheesy plot. The main story is, you know, their favorite hangout is closing forever because of Blue Bloods and property development. And so they don't just set about and say, oh, you know, we're going to save this place and concoct a crazy scheme. They just say, no, we're going to go out on a bender since our, it's our last night. And uh, spoiler alert, it still closes at the end. Amazing. But it's a great movie. And unlike A Christmas Story, this does a fantastic use of a brick joke. They keep teasing one particular member of the car club, the Epitomous Hollywood Knights. They keep teasing him about a particular car to the point where you quickly figure out they've been teasing him all summer and this car doesn't exist <laughs> and he's been lying. And at the end of the movie, he shows up in it. Amazing. And it's glorious. Amazing. All right, my second under is the only Will Ferrell movie that nobody ever mentions as being their favorite Will Ferrell movie, and it is Stranger Than Fiction. I've never seen that one. Oh, so we're okay. We're so over two on the Enders. It's so good. I, I think it's actually fairly well rated, but I never hear anyone say that they've seen it. It's my favorite Will Ferrell flick. Uh, it's got just a, an amazing plot. Guy down on his luck, kind of in this like rote life that he's he's pretty happy with and just kind of living his life. And then all of a sudden he starts to hear his life narrated and he finds out that he is a uh, character in a book where the author kills off her main characters. And it's got just a crazy staff, uh, Queen Latifah, Emma Thompson, Dustin Hoffman, uh, just so many amazing people. I'm trying to remember who, who was the, the girl, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Uh, who I feel like I haven't seen in a movie in forever. I love her. Yeah, she's great. Uh, and it's it's very good. It's got like a 73% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, I mean, it's not bad, but I I def I love it. It's my favorite rom-com. And it's got like, this amazing scene when he finally decides that he wants to be with the girl and what he does to like woo her over is just amazing. It's fantastic. So that's my second under. My second under is proof that underrated does not mean good. <laughs> it is Mortal Kombat, the first one. Uh, it was 1995. It was an hour and 41 minutes. And so I wrote in all capital letters on my first note, all capital letters, a lot of exclamation points underlined, that it actually follows the plot of the bloody games. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to have to talk about <laughs> our video game franchises that we love and uh, Mark is quite obsessed with <laughs> Mortal Kombat. Well, and they did it right. It's a fairly accurate retelling of the first movie or the first game rather, which again, the first game had a fairly thin uh, plot because as you know, we could talk about in a different episode, they uh, were crunched for time and this was sort of a filler game. Uh, but they did it right in the movie. There were 10 characters in the first Mortal Kombat all 10 of them appeared in the movie. The uh, game, the second game had come out just before the movie released. They had three characters from the second game in it. So out of 21 total characters that had been introduced in the franchise, 13 of them were in this movie. Whoa. I remember sitting in the theaters with my friends and we're like, oh, you know, there's Jax and oh, yeah, Reptile. Ah. Um, 
And again, it's another very low-budget movie, but it actually worked to its advantage here. The actors were encouraged to ad-lib. They were encouraged to write a lot of their own stuff. And most of the actors weren't technically actors. They were martial artists. And so that's why, for as cheesy as the movie is, the fight scenes are pretty good because you actually had professional martial artists and they weren't really um, scripted fight scenes, so to speak. There's just two guys went out and sparred in costume. Uh, and so especially the Liu Kang reptile fight near the with the exception of his goofy bicycle kick at the end, which was just for plot purposes. But for the most part, that fight is uh, held up even in, you know, a lot of people don't like the movie. They're like, but that was pretty cool at the end, though, when they did all that stuff. You know, so <laughs> you have that. Uh, and then the main thing is, much like Batman the Animated Series that we talked about in episode two, I think it was, uh, this brought a lot of changes to the game's canon. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, Kano's characterization, Raiden's different personalities, the whole Johnny Cage, Sonya Flick, all of the $500 sunglass memes, which uh, since Mortal Kombat 9, since the reboot, have been all running uh, ties in the games, they all came from the movie. They didn't come from the games. So it's it's kind of an important piece in the franchise. Amazing. And the second movie doesn't exist, and we won't talk about it. I think I saw the first Street Fighter movie, and I've never seen any Mortal Kombat, so I'll trust you. Uh, Street Fighter was... Is, yeah, it was okay. For what it was, it was okay. I think Mortal Kombat was better. It was a bit truer to the games, but for a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, Street Fighter wasn't bad. Yeah, fair. My third one, we're going to have to do an entire episode about the franchise, Mark. Okay. Because my third underrated movie is Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Never saw it. Never saw any of the Disney ones, which we could talk about when we do an episode on the franchise, because I have some very strong opinions. You have very strong opinions (laughs) in movies you haven't seen. No, I have some very strong opinions on major corporations buying a franchise and then making more than a third of it non-canon just with a stroke of a pen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff your theories. Uh, So Rise (laughs) of Skywalker is... I I think it's an amazing movie. Uh, I think it's probably my favorite Star Wars movie, which I have talked about with many fans, and I'm really glad that I disabled comments on the website for this exact reason. Um, (laughs) I really like the concept of a gray Jedi. Uh, I, it's, uh, it's something that existed in the extended universe. For, so for any of you who, like me, have read some of the... the it's going to keep rubbing salt in that wound, don't Yeah, you? you know, what's now considered legends, which I, I'm still a little salty about. So, a little. I'm very salty. Uh, yeah, but, but anybody who's played, like, the Jedi... Jedi Academy and Jedi Outcast games, you know, you know what a great Jedi is, and it's a really interesting concept. You know, it basically turns the black and white uh, world of Star Wars into a a gradient of grays. And uh, Rise of Skywalker and the, and the whole sequel trilogy, I think, I think in some ways, I think there's definitely some complaints that can be made about the sequel trilogy. Uh, but by and large, I aside from you know changing directors and some problems with the writing and some things that don't seem to stick unless you kind of know some of the lore, I thought Rise of Skywalker was a really satisfying end to the series. I thought the characters got really good, solid endings. I'm a huge Ray fan, uh, so I I just loved it. Um, I've talked a lot of, about it with friends and and I've read a lot of reviews on it. I know it's not well loved in the the fandom but i'm sure we will talk about that fandom when we get around to talking about toxic fandoms oh yeah that's that's definitely going to be one of them yep mark last one all right well we're 0 for 5 and i i you may have seen this one but i'm not holding my breath my my last one is uh relatively recent it's the hateful eight is it like the magnificent seven uh not quite no (laughs) Is it related in any way? They're both westerns. Okay. Well, I saw the Magnificent Seven with Chris Pratt. It was pretty good. Okay, so you saw the remake of the Magnificent Seven. Yeah, I'm sure you you have words, but Hateful Eight. <laughs> Hateful Eight, 2015. Uh, I am reviewing the true cut as I push up my hipster glasses, 
So it's three hours and seven minutes plus a 12-minute intermission. So three hours and 19 minutes. Now, weirdly enough, if you go online, this movie actually gets fantastic critical reviews, which it should, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, Tarantino's fandom hated it. Really? Uh, yes, and I don't really understand why. Interestingly enough, it's sort of like Avatar in that it's a lot of fun. It's fun from a technical standpoint. It's fun from a filmmaking standpoint. But whereas Avatar showed where movies have come you know, and where they're going, The Hateful Eight showed where they were. Tarantino filmed it on film, which nobody does anymore. And he actually did it in super wide 70 millimeter film. So only certain cinematic uh, cinemas could uh, run the original cut. He eventually made a digital cut that didn't have the intermission or the overture or anything. But only certain cinemas could show the true cut. That sounds like hipster bullshit, bro. <laughs> well, uh, my friends all thought it was hipster bullshit because I remember we went for hibachi one night and we went to the premiere. And the only theater capable of screening the true cut, which is what I wanted to see, was about 40 minutes away. And they said, hey, asshole, you're the one taking us to this movie. you got to drive. <laughs> uh, so I, you know, we had to go up the highway to go see it. But it was shot in that super widescreen, and it was primarily on one set because it was a simulated stage play. You have eight characters. They're all on screen at different times doing different things. They're on one set. It's super wide. It was kind of fun to see in film form. Uh, you know, it had the overture, it had the intermission, it was sort of like an old-school sword and sandals epic, like, uh, you know, Ben-Hur or the Ten Commandments or something. Uh, and it played with uh, some interesting things that not a lot of Westerns play with. You know, it played with the aftermath of the Civil War and the Emancipation Proclamation. It played with, you know, race relations in the West, not just with uh, newly freed blacks, but with Chinese immigrants working on the railroad. Uh, it played with, you know, uh, Southern veterans trying to assimilate into an America that kind of hates them. So it, it had some fun themes that a lot of Westerns don't touch on. And even though it was the better part of four hours, it actually was pretty well paced, I thought. So I, I enjoyed it. It's a good flick. It's on Netflix in a miniseries. They broke it up into eight episodes. So if you want to watch it, it's on there. Nice. To round it off, Mark. I thought it would be cool if we could do an honorable mention, but you can only pick one movie, and you have to stipulate whether it's an over or an under, and you don't get to explain why. <laughs> okay. So uh, I'm going to go first. My movie is uh, The Illusionist from 2006. I consider it an underrated movie uh, with Edward Norton and Jessica Biel. What is your movie? Uh, I'm going to go with the, just off the top of my head, the original Christopher Reeves Superman. And I would say that is underrated. <laughs> um, because uh, superhero movies lately, and when I say lately, I mean like the last three, four years, have been so bad uh, that it's hard to remember that there was a time when they were actually really, really good. And Superman 1 was really, really good. I'm just going to respond to that with Ant-Man. Never and saw move it. along. It's so good. Oh my god, it's so good. It's my favorite. Okay, anywho. <laughs> I think that does it for us this week. So I just want to thank everybody for listening. We, uh, we love that we have anybody listening to it, even if we get two. Uh, we're pretty happy. Damn um, straight. But those of you who are listening, uh, if you could take the time to like and share and subscribe, uh, we, we'd love that. Uh, if you can... Go out. Uh, we're now actually up on Spotify, which is kind of crazy. Great work, DJ. I'm impressed. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of doing some tech wizardry behind the scenes here. It likely will take until episode four or five is up before we're up on iTunes, but uh, the website is up and running. If you want to check us out, uh, it's uh, www.thewitandwhiskeycast.com. It's W-I-T and uh, whiskey with an E. Um, yeah, don't do what I do. I constantly put an H in there. You know, I'm only the co-host of the bloody show, but I, I constantly spell wit with an H. He does. It's hilarious. Don't be me. Don't, don't be Mark. And uh, now that we actually are officially out there, we're releasing primarily through our website. We've got a nice podcast feed. We've got a blog feed. Mark's been throwing some stuff out into the blog. I'm going to put a blog post up in the near future, probably highlighting some of the whiskeys we've talked about. 
we also have social media accounts that went live recently, so if any of you are into uh, the Book of Faces or the Instagrams, uh, Mark and I have each kind of split the difference, and uh, so Mark's mostly taking taken over the Facebook feed, uh, I've got the Instagram feed. Uh, links to both are up on our website. We've got some nice social media buttons up there. Website Don't be still... afraid to message us. You know, I mean, we, hey, you know, if you're on one of those and, you know, you want to throw us a comment, throw us a complaint, throw us a whatever, you know, we're, we're active. We'll, we'll answer you. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And, and that kind of leads me to my last point here. I know we're going a little long-winded, um, but we now have an official email address. Uh, we, you can reach out to us at thewitandwhiskeycast at gmail.com. Uh, if you want us to, uh, if you want to recommend any whiskeys that you'd like us to uh, try and review, if you'd like to recommend any topics you think of, I, I doubt we're going to get a ton of traffic up front here, but we always welcome hearing uh, uh, feedback and yeah, yeah, send us, send us whatever. We, and if you have, you know, any questions on, you know, whiskey reviews or whiskey experiences or, you know, even something we talked about on the show. Send us questions. You know, if we get, you know, one or two of them a week that are, uh, you know, relevant or whatever, we could even do a little mailbag segment going forward. So don't don't be shy. Yeah, that'd be great. We originally kind of started out this podcast trying to aim at that 40 minute mark. I think if we, <laughs> I think if we end up right around the hour, I think I'm going to call it good, mostly because I don't want to be ripping parts out that are fun to listen to. So and I don't um, shut up, as you've all figured out by now. Yeah, you know, we just like talking. You know, if it takes longer than your lunch break to listen, that's fine. Tell but, your boss I said it's okay. Yeah, exactly. Take that hour. You know, you do you, man. Respect the journey. That's right. We definitely want to thank our music partner, Nuno Henry Silva, for our intro and outro music. Love um, you, Nuno. Yeah, love love you, Nuno. You're the best. We uh, We think he's just incredibly talented. Uh, he's up here in the Shire with me. Uh, so we're going to make sure to include uh, links to his SoundCloud on our show notes. And uh, Mark, we got to figure out a topic for next week. You got any ideas? Well, we have a whole bloody list of ideas. <laughs> uh, I added a few actually recently. and But, you know, I think it's actually, if you have the list up, I think it's the week. I think you're supposed to give me three if we're still going with the, with the same... Uh, thing we've been doing it's true it's true so overs and unders we're gonna keep doing this i think we're you know we're gonna do books we're going to do video games we're just media yeah anime and i just i want to welcome everybody uh who's listening feel free to uh take these as recommendations even the movies that we think are overrated take them as recommendations go make decisions for yourself just remember Um, overrated is not bad unless it's avatar yeah though i mean Underrated means we think it's good. That doesn't mean you will. Yes, that is a big <laughs> caveat. But Mark, I'm going to say, let's say martial arts, Legos, okay. and uh, professional wrestling. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, just because it's topical and will be, uh, you know, a week out or either right on the money, depending on... Uh, our recording session with my vacation. There's actually a big pay-per-view coming up. So let's go professional wrestling. Ooh, good. I'm going to sit back and make some weird comments about an N64 game I played once. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'll, I'll do some research on the side too. Yes, because, uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun because uh, we talk a lot about anime here and professional wrestling is redneck anime. <laughs> it's, it's soap operas for men. It's glorious. I don't actually dislike, I, I'm not a sports guy, but I don't dislike professional wrestling. I am a pretty big fan of UFC. Um, I, I don't get the chance to watch a lot of UFC matches, but when I do, I'm a huge fan. And there's a lot of crossover between the two lately. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think there's some interesting things to talk about there. And I think if we decide to do so, that will dovetail nicely into martial arts. Yes, which that we could we could work one in, you know. Uh, here, here's simulating combat. Oh, and here's actual combat. <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, I think it'll be a great topic. I'm looking forward to it, Mark. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to it too, and I hope you will all join us uh, for the episode six on the wonderful world of professional wrestling. But until then, salute. Yeah, and cheers.
Alright, we're up. Okay, well, you... Wait, was I doing... No, you're doing the intro for this one, aren't you? No, I did the intros for tattoos. Here, wait. I'm gonna clap, and then you're gonna do the intro. Ready? (laughs) Hang on. Fuck. (laughs) I have to pull up a different thing. I didn't think I was doing the intro for this one. God damn it. Uh, ball sack. Okay. Uh... All right. All right. Three... Stop doing that. <laughs> I need an indication on the thing when it starts. Well, I'm, gonna Stop do a ca- I'm gonna do a countdown. Okay, do it. Right. All right. Three, two, one. <laughs>